Hello everyone, my name is Daniel McCormack and I'm an economist within the private market side of Macquarie Asset Management. Today on the podcast we have Rod Cornish joining us. Rod is a property market strategist. He's been with Macquarie for, for 23 years now and has been doing property research for over 30 years. So he really has a wealth of experience in the property sector, both on the research side and in terms of advising on deals. Uh, so, Rod, well, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Just before we jump into the content, I would say that today's content is based on a paper that we have written, a Pathways note on the industrial slash logistics sector. And for people in the audience who are interested in subscribing to this Pathways series of notes, uh, please feel free to reach out uh, to your relationship manager if you'd like to be on that list. I'm, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could add you. Um, so without further ado, let's let's jump into the content. Um, Rod, perhaps perhaps first a question on pricing. Um, I know the industrial logistics sector was was quite popular pre-COVID, and pricing was was relatively healthy then. And COVID, if anything, seems to have only intensified that. Is the space still good value? Yeah, that that is right. Uh, Daniel, and you know certainly low rates and uh, you know shift to real assets by investors has actually firm pricing, you know across a range of assets and sectors. But we still think that industrial is an attractive um, risk-adjusted return proposition for investors. You know we've got very strong tailwinds in the sector, and we're seeing very strong demand in uh, both from investors and from tenants. With the low rates, there's still a large spread between industrial cap rates and 10-year bonds globally, from a, a ranging from around 250 to 300 uh, basis points across global markets. And also cash-on-cash shields are boosted by low borrowing costs. Interesting, interesting. Um, I've been following your analysis for a number of years now, and it, and it seems to me that you've had a, a sort of positive view on the industrials logistics sector for well, at least five years now, all part of your, your beds, sheds and bites thematic. What was it that got you interested in the sector in the first place? Yeah, sort of back then we were looking, uh, we, what we call looking through the cycle, and we were looking at which sectors we thought uh, with the shifting drivers would see solid growth for the rest of that cycle, be pretty resilient in a downswing and also see solid growth across the next cycle and, and the one beyond. And so we were looking at things like online retail sales, how they're improving technology uh, demographics, particularly with the millennials bold and they were getting older and we were looking at sort of, you know, demographic forecasts for the next five, six, ten years. Um, and we could see that also industrial tenant demand at that point was running much more strongly than the typical drivers of GDP, trades and jobs. And so, you know, we th really thought there's something different happening there and we did think that was was going to be continuing. And we also, we can see that industrial, while in the US and Australia, it's regarded as a core asset, in many other places it wasn't around the globe and believe that there were a number of groups that were underinvested in the sector as well. So, you know, we certainly the beds, sheds and bites grew from that. Yeah, interesting. And, and how has COVID impacted some of these structural trends? Well, as you said before, it's really accelerated these trends. You know, when we think about online technology and data particularly, um, but also working from home and also entertaining from home, 
that's increased demand for things like um, you know food, etc. So this is also fed into in industrial demand, um, and it's one reason why that industrial is certainly you know pretty resilient um, during the COVID-induced recession, both on a demand point and also on a pricing point. Yeah. And, and in previous cycles, has it been as resilient as it's been this time around? In previous cycles, what we saw was that really across sectors, there was more uniformity. So in, in a downswing, we saw, you know, across different, across the, the sectors, it was a bit more uniform. Perhaps single family residential is a little bit different. But this time around, we've seen a lot more variance where data centres where industrial, where things like man manufactured homes have actually really kept going throughout this, this uh, downswing. And that's quite an unusual situation. But I think there's a lot of, um, you know, tailwinds that have supported that, you know, across those different sectors. Yeah, fascinating. Um, as, a, as someone who's not a property specialist, one of, the, one of the interesting factoids I read in your notes is that, for every dollar of consumer spending that moves away from spending in bricks and mortar retail and moves to online spending, there's a threefold increase in the amount of logistic space that is required. That's that just sounds like a huge number to me. I mean, you know, is that right? And if it is roughly right, why does online spending require so much more logistic space? Yeah, so that was really determined a number of years ago, but I think they keep updating it. It's through Prologist research. So they, um, Prologist is a, is a group that's got about $150 billion under assets under management of industrial. Um, and so they were looking at from a technical, but also, you know, um, an on-the-ground analysis as well. So it's really e-commerce as compared to traditional bricks and mortar requires the space you know, to pick, pack, and the sort packages and returns. Um, typically, you need higher inventory levels. And, you know, certainly you also need, for example, last mile facilities to get the goods uh, to consumers very quickly. So it does add up to about that. It's, it's typically about a, a three times um, multiplier there. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, really explains the, the strong uplift in, in logistics demand that we've, we've seen over recent years. Um, another, another sort of, um, you know, fairly sort of simple question. You know, when I think of e-commerce, I just think of think of Amazon, right? Uh, so, so is this is this sort of all Amazon, or what kind of share of the market does does Amazon have? Well, quite clearly, two thousand twenty, Amazon were very dominant. I think they leased about. In the US is really where we've got a lot of clarity about this. It's about 78 million square feet of space last year. And when you think of individual companies, they were you know, well above the next, which I think was Walmart. Um, if you look at the first half of this year and what the changes that are occurring is that um, first half of this year, I think they leased about 7% of, of total you know, leasing activity in the first half of 2021, about 30 million square feet. Um, but that's actually lower than what they were in the first half of last year. And what we're seeing is that, you know, there's a much more diverse tenant base and they're actually stepping up. So uh, third-party logistics companies, retail and wholesale, e-commerce, food and beverage, manufacturing, medical are actually stepping up. And while um, 
Amazon did decrease uh, you know, their leasing activity in the first half of the year relative to um, the same time last year, overall activity in the US was up 52%. So you can really see that those other groups are, are stepping up in terms of their tenant demand. And we're actually seeing this around the globe as well. Yeah. And given all of these, these structural trends that you mentioned that are supporting the sector, I mean, I'm guessing rental demand is, is pretty strong. Is, is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Particularly look at in the markets that we are probably most focused on at the minute is really the US and Europe. So if you look at the US, the actually it's measured by something called market revenue per available square foot, which is really a combination of one metric of rents and, and occupancy. So that's been running for the last five years at 5.8% per annum average, you know, very strong growth. And Green Street uh, are actually expecting for the next five years this to strengthen to about 6.6% per annum. Um, across Europe, that same metric that's um, been running at about 3.8% per annum over the last five years. And again, Green Street in the next five years are expecting that to be maintained around those same levels. So, you know, a big reason that investors focus on, on industrial is really the growth aspect, you know, expecting that a lot of those returns are going to be coming through growth and really focusing on where they think the growth is going to be coming from. Yeah. And I guess with yields so compressed these days, does that, does that mean that when investors are looking for returns or, or excess returns, the outlook for rental growth is just that much more important? than it was in the past, as in it's just a much bigger part of part of the equation than it traditionally has been historically? Yeah, that's right, Daniel. Um, and particularly when you think about, you know, the last five to 10 years, you've had rates coming down, you've had yield compression. Um, and so, you know, a fair bit of the growth has been through yield compression and obviously in industrial, including growth. From here, really growth is a story. Investors are very focused on growth, where that growth is going to be coming from. Industrial, you know, is certainly one of the leaders of the pack, but they're also looking at um, sectors like data centres, life sciences, innovation centres, um, mid-market rental housing. But, yeah, growth is really the key looking forward. Yeah. And, and just turning to supply uh, for a second, Rod, I mean, given those strong rental growth numbers there, I guess that means that supply hasn't come on board aggressively and, and the market is, is still fairly fairly tight. Is, is that fair to say? Well, certainly vacancy rates uh, are tight, absolutely. Um, in Again, in the US, is probably they've been leading the pack a bit on supply. So there has been supply, but it's been absolutely met. And in fact, demand has exceeded the supply. So, you know, over the last five years, I talked about that strong rental growth. In fact, you know, some people were expecting, you know, supply might, um, you know, out, outbear demand, but it hasn't been the case. It's been the other way around. Um, so, and that's partly because, you know, people are, are requiring modern facilities and there has been an undersupply of modern facilities relative to, you know, I guess the more uh, older facilities where there's some obsolescence as well. You know, so certainly demand has been meeting, so uh, actually been in excess of supply. Yeah. And, and is the supply dynamic within the logistics and industrial space 
I mean, how is it the same and how does it differ from other property sectors? When you compare it, for example, to an office, um, you know, a large office development or a mixed-use development or even, you know, a very large uh, apartment development, these take a long time to get off the ground, uh, to get planning. You know, they're obviously built in constricted um, sites in cities, for example, and they can take three and a half years, particularly uh, in a large office development. Um, and so, you know, once you start, often, you know, they can start late in the cycle when the rentals um, make it feasible. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes, you know, they complete uh, in, in the next downswings because the, the time lags are so long. For industrial, it's, it's become very difficult to get sites with planning approval. Um, but also it's much shorter time periods. So it's typically tilt-up construction and the time periods can be sort of six months. So, you know, if a market does change, you can, uh, you know, stop before you start or, you know, you're not as um, defined on that market because it's much shorter construction period. Yeah, right. So probably sort of a, a lower risk of, of a glut at supply you know, precisely the times that, that you don't want it, which, you know, which, which as you sort of alluded to in, in, in the answer, you know, can happen in some, some property sectors given, given the long lead times. Yeah, okay, turning um, development, um, what, is the, what is the sort of return premium that investors get on, on development risk? And, and, you know, do you see that as, as sort of adequate within the space to get, to get involved in development? Yeah, um, certainly in the US, um, the... The development spread, so the difference between, I guess, an established property and, and the cap rates and, and the development spread with um, development yields is around 100 basis points. And so your Green Street estimate that sort of equates to a development margin of around 30%. So, you know, to many investors, including ourselves, you know, this is sufficient risk, or sorry, return for the risk relative to core investment. Um, they are that development margin isn't um, as strong in Europe. It, it's um, you know, it's less so in Europe, but certainly in the US, a very strong development margin. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we're coming around on time, but lastly, and probably importantly, just wanted to touch on what, what do you see as the main risks to your to your positive view on the logistics slash industrial sector? Well, as you say, you know, pricing is tight. Um, you know, if we did see significant rises in policy rates in the future, you know, we know that sort of 10-year bonds have sort of retreated in, in the last couple of months because, you know, people aren't quite so concerned about maybe inflation as they have been. But if they did increase in the future, you know, very markedly, um, that could impact on, on pricing. Um, your point on supply, if it did come when demand tapered off. But look, vacancy rates are very tight around large urban markets where land is scarce. Um, so the risk we think would, you know, if that did occur, would be mainly be in secondary locations and probably obsolescence. You know, these are quickly evolving trends. So, you know, you need to look at um, future trends in, in terms of that supply as well. But, you know, overall, um, we are positive on, on industrial. The estimated risk-adjusted returns um, are strongest if, relative to other core sectors. 
Um, and we think, you know, tier one markets underpinned by you know, strong underlying economy, in-place infrastructure, strong um, population base with barriers to entry should achieve, you know, in our view, solid growth through the cycle. As a strategy, we've focused on development in the US for some of the reasons we discussed previously and investment into core assets into Europe. In those markets, the cap rates are higher than uh, other major sectors. So there could be yield, some yield compression in those European markets. Great. Thanks very much, Rod. I, I found that very interesting. That's all the questions I had. Um, so to the audience, thanks very much for listening. Again, if you'd like to sign up to our distribution list for our Pathway series of notes and receive the papers that Rod and his colleague David Roberts write on, on property and that I write on infrastructure, do please reach out to your relationship manager. I'm sure we'd be happy to add you to our, to our list. Otherwise, thanks again, and we'll end the recording there. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.